0: Our first guest tonight is Warren Ward. Warren is the Associate Professor of Psychiatry at the University of Queensland. As those of you who've listened to his fascinating podcast with Sarah Kanofsky, and if you haven't, I recommend you do, uh, on Radio National's Conversations. It's a whole hour, we've only gonna have 20 minutes here. Warren's speciality is working with eating disorders and addiction. But in the writing of uh, the book, Lovers of Philosophy, his focus has been on another of his passions. His writing has appeared in numerous publications, including Eon, A New Philosopher. In fact, he's won the New Philosopher's Award twice. Now, I'm not terribly sure how you do that, but anyway, we might come to that in both 2016 and 2019. Please welcome Warren Milani. Thank you. <laughs> Warren, it's gonna be really difficult to do justice to this book in the time that we have for our interview because it's so rich in ideas and stories. But let's begin with the title, Lovers of Philosophy, because it's something of a pun, isn't it, really? uh, This book is not simply about the love life of a select group of philosophers. It is also, is it not, a love letter to philosophy itself and the ideas of these men.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think of myself as an amateur, which means lover of. You know, I'm a lover of philosophy. I've been um, having conversations with friends who are particularly interested in this area for 30 or so years. I hate to think maybe how long. And this book was really an outgrowth uh, of, of that. It started with me reading She Came to Stay by Simone de Beauvoir. And in that book, uh, which is a really compelling novel, she describes... Uh, the difficulties she had with the open relationship which she had with Jean-Paul Sartre when uh, a young 19-year-old student comes into their home um, to form a ménage a trois. It was more Jean-Paul's idea than Simone's. And uh, in that novel, Simone de Beauvoir describes Jean-Paul Sartre not just as a philosopher but as a lover, as an imperfect man. And I could relate to that, an imperfect man, a lover. <laughs> we're, we're all lovers as human beings. And uh, that got me the, the idea of what if I could find out from the lovers of other philosophers what they were like um, putting flesh, if you like, on their minds. And that sent me on a journey of research.
0: So, I mean, jumping right to Sartre, because the, the book is staged through these seven philosophers. We've got Kant, Hegel, Nietzsche, Heidegger, um, then we go to Sartre and Foucault and Derrida, right? Derrida? Derrida?
1: Okay. In Australia, it's Derrida. Derrida. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Derrida. Yeah.
0: Um, that. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's when you really get to Sartre that you kind of start to sing, right? It's it's almost. It, it, obviously, he means an awful lot to you, doesn't he? Yeah. Why is that? Where did where did Sartre come? Into yeah, your life?
1: my interest in philosophy did start with Sartre. Um, it was in 1981. I was in a share house in Brisbane. It was really boring and dull, Brisbane, in those days, there wasn't much going on. And a friend tossed me a a novel by Sartre called Nausea, uh, which really, um, in a novel form, talks about the existentialist philosophy. And I just found myself transported to this, I guess, very romantic world of Paris between the wars, you know, the cobblestone streets, the cafes, the free love, the free thinking. It really captured my, my mind and my heart and uh, that set me on the journey of interest in European philosophy. And when I started to plan the book, I was really curious about, well, who were the forebears of Sartre's thought who came before him? And I went back, Heidegger, Nietzsche, Hegel and Kant, and then who really came in his wake and reacted to him. That's how I got to Foucault and Derrida. So in the book, I do try to, in a very, hopefully very readable way, explain the um, progression of continental philosophy and and the main thinkers.
0: Yeah, while you're also kind of talking about their love life. But, I mean, maybe you could just uh, tell us why Sartre was so kind of revolutionary in his time. Uh, Yeah?
1: Well, I mean, just to give you one example, by the time he died in in 1980 or 84, um, 50,000 people attended his funeral. Now, we have some great philosophers in Australia, Peter Singer, David Chalmers, I just can't see 50,000 getting to the funeral. So, you know, he, was, uh, he and, and Simon de were a celebrity power couple of philosophy. And it was just after the World War II when, the philosoph- when his philosophy of existentialism really, um, I guess, uh, caught on fire. And remember, that was a time when people were, had just been dealing with the end of religion, and now science had given them the atomic bomb and, and if you like, the concentration camps of Germany. So people were asking you know, where do we get our meaning, our purpose from life? And Sartre had an answer for that, and his answer was really a question, which is, you are condemned to be free, each of you have to find and create your own meaning in life. And that really resonated with me too, um, as well as uh, I think the people, many people in Europe at the time.
0: Oh, with the whole generation. I was yeah. another one of these sad young men walking around with a copy of La Nozé in, <laughs> in, in my man bag that, that, that I carried at the time. It's a very sad And I think affair. it was the
1: first time philosophy came to the cafes, you know, and, and people, yeah, it was, became fashionable. Yeah. But,
0: I mean, it's interesting that question that Sartre Asks, I, I, I've got a kind of little paraphrase of what you say in the book that Sartre voiced the unspoken thoughts of so many that religion had lost its credibility, science had created awful machines of destruction, and the world's leaders had led their citizens into terrible conflagrations and mass murder and could no longer be trusted to lead. And I think that's kind of quoting some of him and, and you in that kind of paraphrase. And as you say, Sartre's answer is we each have to take personal responsibility for it. And I just wanted to take that into the kind of present day because it seems to kind of describe where we are in the 21st century a little bit too. And I'm sorry, taking personal responsibility hasn't really taken on. Is there a better answer in philosophy somewhere?
1: Well, after Sartre came Foucault, who, had a, who he didn't like Sartre, he wanted to smash all his ideas. And in fact, at Sartre's funeral, there was a scene where Foucault was there standing as they were putting Sartre into his grave, and he was surrounded by his acolytes. And he said, this man and everything he represents is what I've wanted to um, overturn all my life. And so he had um, a different philosophy, which still affects us today, the philosophy of post-structuralism, or if you like, structuralism, and that's the idea that we're not individuals who can take too much personal responsibility. We're not free, we're actually all constructed by social forces that are very powerful, whether it's about our gender or our, our race or, um, or just the bourgeois sort of rules of our society. So he would say that it's the culture stupid rather than it's the individual stupid. Um, but I think they have a nice, there's a nice dialectic there between their two ideas.
0: You thought you might read a little bit about Sart's funeral
1: yeah, I thought I'd just read um, just this description of Sartre's funeral because it really does blow my mind still that um, you know a philosopher had 50,000 people attending. I mean, we've just had Shane Warne pass. And um, <laughs> it's, it's similar. <clears throat> <laughs> On a grey morning in late April 1980, 50,000 people poured onto the streets of Paris for the funeral of Jean-Paul Sartre the city's most revered and celebrated intellectual. Never before or since have so many gathered to pay their respects to a philosopher. Braving the cold and drizzle, the crowd extended as far as the eye could see, shuffling in a hushed silence behind a rain-streaked black hearse. Beginning its journey at the Broussais Hospital in Rue Didot, the funeral car slowly edged its way through the crowds that had brought Paris to a standstill. Many looked down from windows high above the streets that bordered the procession. Some clambered onto monuments or statues to get a glimpse of their idol as he passed. Politicians, academics, students, dignitaries and workers alike lined the French capital streets to pay homage to their much-loved philosopher King. When the hearse arrived at Montparnasse Cemetery, the respectful silence that had prevailed up to this point gave way to jostling and shouts as the press and other onlookers surged to get a view of the casket. Microphones on long poles hovered over the silent coffin as it was carried to the grave. Journalists and members of the public held their cameras up high, frantically trying to catch one last glimpse of the philosopher before he was laid to rest. Newspapers around the world would report on the funeral the next day. One described how in the commotion, several were injured and many fainted as the crowd trampled over graves to reach the site where Mr Sartre's body will lie. The same article described how Mr Sartre's longtime companion, writer Simone de Beauvoir, had to be helped through the throng and one man slipped and fell into the grave shortly before the coffin was lowered into it.
0: <laughs> the French, they, they're quite good with beliefs and ideas, yeah? But um, when you read, when I read your book and, and I kind of went through these philosophers, one of the things that I couldn't help but remark is that Really, they weren't very successful in love. In fact, they weren't very good at it.
1: That struck me as well. Um, <laughs> occasionally, I've given this talk in front of some philosophical academics, and, I, and I've, I shouldn't use this term, but I've mentioned a lot of them seem very thin skinned yes. um, <laughs> when it came to criticism from their peers. And when I say that, I usually have a philosopher come up to me and say, I don't think philosophers are thin skinned, which there's an irony in that. But anyway. Um, But yeah, they did. I mean, I even wonder if some of them were on the spectrum. You know, people like Nietzsche, who had these brilliant ideas, um, amazing abilities to create whole worlds, whole ways of thinking, and a diligence, you know, with the work they put out. But just terribly awkward, like pre adolescent in the way they approached women. It, It did strike me.
0: But reading Nietzsche, of course, there is a, it, there's a tension in your narrative about Nietzsche's life, and I hope I'm not giving spoilers away here at the moment, but as, as I was reading... They all die
1: in the end. Sorry. Yep. A, they all die in the end. But yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> with, with Nietzsche, uh, I mean, he's courting one young woman after another, but the man is syphilitic. and And so there is this kind of tension as a reader that you're hoping somehow or other she says no no Friedrich back off you know? hmm. because it's um it, it it's it's a sad state of affairs
1: and the tragedies it seems that he caught syphilis from having sex maybe once or twice with a prostitute when in his 20s because he he wasn't really successful in love so no. I mean syphilis and tuberculosis were the big diseases of, of that time
0: Yep. Uh, yes. I mean, there was an article in The Guardian a couple of days ago saying that 20% of, of London had syphilis mm. in, the, in the early 19th century.
1: Yes. penicillin's great. Good thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so um, you know, I, one of the things that came to me when you were writing about Michel, Michel Foucault um, was that he first made his name attacking psychiatry I I wondered how you personally kind of felt about that
1: yeah look interestingly I've always been an anti psychiatric psychiatrist you know I think um, I was reading philosophy and um, French philosophy before I became a psychiatrist so I've always had a suspicion of the profession I'm in I mean there's a there's a good side to it which is psychotherapy I think in helping people to find the truth about about why they do r- crazy repetitive things that they don't know why they do. But you know, there's, a, there's a big, uh, very um, powerful and true critique of psychiatry in terms of big pharma and also just the powerful and the powerless. And Foucault was one of the first to, re- he was the first to critique psychiatry very powerfully. And there's an autobiographical element to that. I don't know if that's a spoiler either, but he, he was on the receiving end um, He was diagnosed with homosexuality after a suicide attempt in his early 20s, and his father brought a psychiatrist to cure him. He offered a range of treatments for his mental illness, and Foucault managed to escape the psychiatrist, but then he went on to write one of the greatest critiques of psychiatry ever written, Madness and Civilization. And so in his case, it was was the way that society responded to his sexuality that formed some of his philosophical ideas and the subjects that he wrote about. And towards the end of his life, he said, "All my work was an autobiography," which is interesting.
0: I, I mean, very interesting. I found the whole chapter on Foucault utterly fascinating because, of course, I grew up with everybody carrying Foucault around in their mad bags, and I, have, <laughs> I, I can't say I ever read a word of it. I didn't. I, I mean, I could. The say important things to carry it and have Foucault, it on the coffee table. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Foucault yeah. said this, but I, I didn't actually know quite what he said, which kind of leads <laughs> me into the final <laughs> philosopher in in the book, which is Derrida. Um, who I find completely uh, unintelligible, but you seem to give him a kind of place in the narrative and a place in this flow of continental thought.
1: Yes, and I I found Derrida the most difficult philosopher to to not only understand, but to explain in a way that could be... um, I, I mean, the aim of the book is to hopefully, for people who are curious about philosophy but a bit put off by some of the in original texts, to find a way in. And I'd like to think I would have found a way in. But in a nutshell, what Derrida was trying to say, or my understanding of it, was that um, we have the world of words. So when I say the word glass, it it has really um, two meanings. One is this glass that I'm looking at here, which is, um, that's the word glass being a, a referent. Or if I talk about, um, when when we're talking about Derrida, I'm using the word Derrida as a signifier. He's not in the room, but all of you here, or not some of you, many of you maybe, have an idea of what we're talking about or or when we talk about French philosophy. Uh, And Derrida said, since philosophy began, we've always had this idea that that world of, let's say cat, when I say the word cat, you know, we all have this idea of cat, so Plato, said that there is a realm of forms of cats out there somewhere that it's an ideal form. Uh, Derrida said that's a load of rubbish and actually all we really have is words and we can only think and describe and manipulate things in words, which is a pretty sort of radical idea, but I found it an interesting way to start to think about things. Indeed. I, you know, and I, 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 like, I think for me a good philosopher gets me thinking about things in a way I've never really thought about them before. What? And he does that
0: exactly. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I'm, I was also curious, just a, a, as a kind of final question, as to why you stopped there at Derrida and didn't, for instance, I mean, the 20th century has seen the rise of some very significant female philosophers, like Martha you Nussbaum, know, for 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 example. And I was curious as to why you didn't kind of t- put put on a chapter there. Just it. You know, yeah. I
1: th- Look, the reason I chose the seven I did was, um, when I did my research, starting with Sartre, who was introduced to me by Beauvoir, and there was a lot about Beauvoir as a, as a thinker as well as a, an, an agent in this book. Um, one wall of my study was basically um, I went through Wikipedia and just looked at it has with every philosopher who influenced them and who did they influence. So I had this mind map of about 50 philosophers and I found that there were seven nodes of influence. So it was this visual sort of congregation of seven of the most influential. And I thought about going beyond Derrida to Zizek, but I found I couldn't understand him, so I stopped.
0: I'm wonderfully honest. That's (laughs) remarkable. Please put your hands together for Warren Ward. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you.